I am excited about Easter. I hope you are. I I'm just can't wait. I was, uh, we were here at rehearsal this week, and uh, the energy of our worship team was just phenomenal. It was really great. I'm looking forward to it. Good to have Tiffany back, and uh, what a beautiful baby. Um, by the way, if you, you have um, the flyers on your table for those, I hope you'll take them and give them to someone and invite somebody to come with you uh, Easter Sunday. It's just going to be a great time. We um, started this series a couple weeks ago, Destroying Myths About Jesus. And uh, we, we start off talking about Jesus Christ, which means Messiah, that Jesus is his name. Christ is, in fact, um, his designation. He is the Messiah. And we talked about that. We talked about um, what it means to be a Mess- the Messiah and all the prophecies about Jesus coming as the Messiah and the fulfillment of that. Then last week, we talked about Jesus' deity. He's God. And the, the scripture is very clear about that. We went through and, and looked at scriptures that identified Jesus as the second person of the triune Godhead. And that he is God. And, and that we, um, we, um, when we're talking about Christ, we're not talking about a glorified man. We're not talking about a great prophet or teacher, though he was a great prophet and teacher. But he was, not, he was so much more than that. He's uh, He's eternal. He's preexistent. Before he came into this world, he was not created in that way. In his, in his, human, in his humanity, of course, he was born uh, by the Holy Spirit, seated by the Holy Spirit, so that he was both fully man and God. He, took, he had to be uh, fully man in order to take our place, the, sac- the sacrifice for our sins. But he's always been and always will be. And the scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So all, everything was created by Him. Jesus created all things. So when we look at, at God, we see that Jesus is the second person in the triune Godhead. And if you, um, if you weren't around, I encourage you to, to take a look at those. Go to our website and, and look at the, the, uh, the you know, and, and, and watch the sermon and listen to what uh, the scripture says, and, and check it out yourself. God's word is very clear there. The, the third, um, today, I want to talk about uncovering uh, a big deception. Um, and I say a big deception, a great deception. Um, and I, I, I don't know who's, you know, no one's perpetrating, I, I would say, this deception Necessarily, There are those who have bought into a lower level of understanding of who Jesus is. But my desire is that you can really understand Jesus in all of his glory and all of his nature and who he really is. Because a false view of Jesus could, could lead to a false, a false um, belief in, or a belief in the wrong God, belief in the wrong Savior. It's himself. So that's why it's important for us to understand these are foundational things. And today um, we're going to take a look at a couple main portions of Scripture. We'll, we'll be heading quite through a, quite a few of them. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 35, and then we're going to be in Luke 
chapter 9 and verse 23. But in Acts 10, 35, it says this. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And then this phrase, he is Lord of all. Would you say that with me? He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus is Lord of all. Now, when you say Lord, I mean, that kind of comes out quickly, especially if you talk about Jesus as Lord. You know, he's Lord. We say that all the time. But what we're really saying is he is master. He is the master. He's, he's the head honcho. He's the leader. That no one is above him. He is Lord of all. Now, <clears throat> the, the deception is, as we look at the, the identity of Christ, we're looking at our own identity, that the deception is in not understanding really who we are and then misunderstanding who he is. Okay, that sounds, maybe sounds a little confusing. Let's hang in. I think you'll get it. Um, when we talk about who we are, we will often say we all need to know our true identity. And, and I, don't you agree with that? I mean, the, the, the problem so much as Christians is that we don't understand who we really are. And uh, the world tries to give an image of that. I mean, what a terrible image. Some of the things the world tries to put upon us who we really are and, um, and tells us how we really ought to live. And, the, you know, the, it, it's, it's degrading and, uh, and really a, a, a amounts to pretty much nothing. Um, if, if they're from a naturalistic worldview, they're obviously saying to us that you are just an evolved amoeba. You're just a bunch of of chemicals that have come together uniquely. And, uh, and that's the most you can kind of expect of who you are now. Kind of since you are able to live, live your life in the way that would please you the most because you're going to die and you just are, you know, those chemicals are going back into the earth and that's all there is. But, but we know as Christians we're more than that. And, and the Bible tells us to, uh, about these things. That we will hear uh, preachers and and uh, and lists of things that tell us who we are. For instance, most people will tell us when we they talk about our, our identity, we're, we're told that we're sons and daughters of God. Why? Because the Bible says that, right? That as we come to Christ, not everyone's a son or daughter of God. The 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 Bible actually uh, says we are the creation of God, but we become sons and daughters of God when we come through Jesus Christ, and we, we are born into the family of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We're, we're called saints. It isn't just those who have died and become, you know, did some special things. A saint is a, a, a one who is called, set apart. That's who we are as Christians. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus, everyone who has Christ in their life, is born again, is a saint. We're, we are joint heirs with Jesus. We, we are overcomers. Let me just, you know, read these lists. We're, we're loved by God. We're, we're destined for heaven. We're the apple of God's eye. I mean, we can go on and on with all these things. Don't you love it? I mean, uh, one of my favorite new songs, uh, it's not that new anymore, but Lauren Daigle sings this song, 
you say. And if you've heard that song, it's, it, it, it's a song that just says, I think this way. I'm, I'm going, you know, my mind tells me this, but you say this. And I identify, your, your identity in me is the most important thing. And, and I agree with all of that. But I've looked at the list. I've gone down the, you know, there, some of the biblical lists that people put out are, you know, there's 15 things and there's 10 things and there's 25 things that the Bible says. And in every list I've ever seen, there's, there's one that's always left out. And the interesting thing about the one that's left out, it is the one that's, that is most used by the followers of Jesus, the disciples, to identify themselves. It's the most used. The, the one that's most used isn't that we're sons of God, isn't that, that um, you know, we're destined for heaven, it isn't that we're overcomers, it isn't that, you know, it's none of those others are the most used. This is the one that's most used, and yes, it's always left out. And, and, uh, and, and though I love all of the others, because that are true, that are biblical. In fact, this last week, um, I was doing a study on the Hebrew word for grace. And I discovered something. The Hebrew word for grace is different than, uh, uh, slightly different than the, the Greek word for grace, which is found in the New Testament. The Hebrew word for grace has two basic meanings. The first one I knew. And, and it has the idea of looking into the eyes of God, uh, looking at God, that God looks at us with favor, with favor. And we look, you know, when we talk about grace, it's, it's, it is, it's an unmerited favor. God looks at, at us with favor, even though we don't deserve it. But let me tell you the second one I found this week, just kind of thrilled me. The second uh, um, idea of the Hebrew word of grace is that, to, to, that, that God looks at us with glistening eyes. Well, we say, what's that? Well, what causes glistening eyes? Teardrops. 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 It's the drops of joy. It's the teardrops of joy that cause glistening eyes. That when God looks at us, he looks at us with glistening. Have you ever done that? You know, you held your, have you ever held your firstborn? You know, the first time you, you hold that child and you have glistening eyes. There's fear. You're, you're scared to death, but you have these glistening eyes. You're looking at this child or that one you've fallen in love with, glistening eyes. That's God. He looks at us with glistening eyes. So I say, I, I love those things. But there's one that if we don't get, even if you have all the rest, you really actually won't get all the rest fully. And if you don't get it, you're going to misunderstand who he is. And, and that, that word is found throughout the scriptures, and it's, it's called that we are, and you're not going to like this one, we're called a slave of Christ, a slave. Now, the word slave is that you, you say it's, it's in the Bible. I don't see it. And actually, if you look in your New, your New Testament, you really won't see the word slave in reference to our relationship with Christ. You won't, you won't see it. And the reason you won't see it is it, it, it's understandable that when we think of slave, 
the negative connotations to that word just kind of make you cringe a little bit. Because a slave is not a good designation. And a slave owner is not a, a good person. We look at that and we go, that's not, that, I mean, so the, the translators have done an interesting thing. In most translations, there are translations that use the word slave. But in most translations, they have changed it to servant. But in the, um, in, in the Greek, there, in the Greek New Testament, um, there, are, there are seven words for servant. And the word that, the word that is used for us is, is a word that, that is, not used, is not mean servant. Doulos is the word. And you can find it throughout the Greek New Testament, and it's translated servant, but in no, you, you can look in any lexicon. I've, I've got a series of, uh, of, uh, of Greek, um, a, a, a set called Kittles, and it takes, like, it'll take a word and it'll do the epistemology of the entire word for, you know, way back. And, it, you know, so you look up a word and it'll be 27 pages, fine print of, of the history of that word. And you can look it up. And doulos is never slave. I mean, never servant. It's always slave. But the New Testament writers put servant to soften it. Now, the, the, let me give you a little history and help you understand this. And you say, well, Rick, this is going to be real boring. No, just hang in with me. It'll be meaningful to you, okay? Just, let, let, just hang in this time. Um, the slaves um, in first century time, of course, the, the Roman, Roman Empire, one out of every four people in the Roman Empire were slaves. I mean, sla slavery was, was everywhere. And Jesus obviously knew what it was to be a slave. But in, in, in Israel, at least what God had set down in, in his law was, um, was a slavery system that was in fact allowed uh, if the person who was the slave chose that they wanted to be a slave. Now you say, who would want to do that? Well, there was, when a person was in debt, there was uh, servitude that was required if there, there had to be a way in which a person could pay off their debt. So they borrow money for whatever it is. Um, they're, they're, they're going to you know, make, make an investment or they're going to buy land or whatever it is. And it goes sour and they owe this money and they can't pay it back. Well, the law requires that that person goes to jail and, and to, 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 because they have not been able to pay back. They, were not, they, they can't declare bankruptcy like we could. Back in those days, if you owed somebody, you weren't able to pay, and no one else could pay for you, you had to go to jail unless you agreed that the person you owed would agree to a time frame by which you would serve them as a slave, serve them as a slave for the time period that, that would take to you know, pay off your debt. If you were someone who became a slave that way, someone could actually buy you. 
Like, let's say this guy who's loaned the money, he's got, you know, he doesn't need you. He doesn't really want you around. But you owe him. He could sell you to someone else to be a slave to them. And that person would buy you as a slave. And you had a time period. Now, in, in Israel at that point, there, there was a law that you could not, no one could be a slave more than seven years. So it wasn't a lifetime servitude. You, you know, you had a time frame, and if you owed too much, you still could not serve more than seven years, whether you paid it off or not. There was no more, it, you know, it was over after seven years. Some people, their life as a slave was way better than it would be as a free person. Sometimes they were so impoverished, and of course in those days, if they didn't have a welfare system, they, there was somewhat of a, um, a very minor welfare system for food and so forth in, um, in Israel at that time. Uh, but it was, uh, it was really minor, and a person could actually die um, in their poverty. And so sometimes they would become part of a family. And they were, as a slave to that fa- in that family, they would, become, they would really become, they would love one another. Now, in the church in those days, the, the church, when the church gathered together, there would be slaves in the church. The difference in the church and in the world, in the community, sometimes those slaves were the leaders, they were the elders, they were the pastors. One of the, one of the, the, the most famous pastors of one of the largest church in the first century pastored, uh, pastored the church of Ephesus, and he, uh, he was a slave. So you have to think of it a little bit different than we do of our, you know, of the foundation of our nation and slavery and all of that. Now, if a person who was a slave loved their family and the time came for them to be set free, they could, in fact, say, I don't want to be free. Now, I can't imagine that, but actually for them, it would have been a better life. And what they did is they became a bond slave. Now, we use the term bond servant, but that's not the case. It was a bond slave. A bond slave would take, and they would take, uh, actually, they would go up against the, the, the doorpost, and they'd put in, well, it was the first uh, pierced earrings, I think. They were made, it was made out of wood, and they'd put this little uh, pierce in their ear, and that tied them as a bond slave. Now, that, not, that meant, I want to be here for life. And that was a bond slave. So Jesus, when he talked about slavery, he understood what it was. It wasn't new, but, but that's why the, the writers, the translators, um, when they translated the word for slavery, even used the word bond servant. In fact, Paul identified himself that way often. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So the apostle Paul says, that's what I am. I am a bond, but listen, the translator puts servant, but it's doulos again. It's slave. What Paul wrote, when he wrote his letter, He wrote, I'm a bond slave. 
Now, I'm a slave by choice, not by force. You understand? And that's why I can understand them softening it a little bit because it says, I'm a slave by choice, not a slave by force. I, I, I choose to be a slave in that way. So in that way, that word is a little bit softened from what we would, our concept would be when, we, when it's referring to, to, to being a slave. But listen what Jesus says in John 12. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my, it says there, servant, put in slave, and there my slave will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So Jesus himself referred to his disciples as slaves. And, and, uh, and Jesus was, okay, this is going to be shocking. Just hold on, pay it, you know, give me some grace here. But it's true, Jesus was a slave owner and is a slave owner. Jesus is a slave owner. I, my wife cringed when I told her I was going to talk about this like this. But the fact is, 1 Corinthians chapter nine, 6 and verse 19 says, Or do you, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, whom you are... Uh, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were purchased by God. You were bought with a price. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And he purchased you from another slave owner. Because don't think you've ever been free. The Bible says that you and I were slaves to sin, we were slaves to the kingdom of darkness. You have to serve somebody. You do serve somebody. One way or the other, you, you know, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you will serve somebody as uh, it has been sung before. But Romans 10, 9 says this. This is where it all starts for us. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the scripture I go to when I'm trying to lead someone and I, and I ask someone if they've, if they've come to know Christ and if they, they have um, come to know Jesus. In fact, when we pray and invite people to come and accept Jesus as Savior, I never really tell someone that they are now saved. I really want them to be able to say, I am now saved. And the way you are able to do that is you know that you know what the scripture says about salvation and you have fulfilled that. And what the scripture says of salvation is fairly simple. If you confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. That Jesus is Lord. Now, that, the ramifications of Jesus is Lord is Jesus is master. He's not just, it's not just a, you know, a, a name it's not, it's a, it's, it's, it's a designation for your life that Jesus is my master. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So you believe the sacrifice that was made. He died on the cross. Can't raise from the dead if you're not dead. He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So Jesus is Lord. He's master. 
And, and he rose from the dead. The Bible says, you will be what? Saved. So, of course, I ask this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is master or Lord? If they say yes, do you believe that God has raised him from the dead? If they say yes, then according to this scripture, what are you? The answer is saved. Saved. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. Now, why, it's, why am I even talking? Why is this so important? Because the lordship of Jesus requires us to say yes to him. That, that he becomes the ruler of our life. We're not the ruler of our life. We're not in control of our life. We submit ourselves willingly. We're saying, Jesus, you're Lord. I choose to be a slave of Christ. Because if you don't understand that, and I've seen false teachers take advantage of the ignorance of, of, of believers, of Christians, who have not settled in their heart the, the, leader, the rulership of Christ in their life, and say things to them, for instance, that, that, script, that, that Jesus has clearly stated that they should or should not do, and give, and, and give excuses, allow people, and say to them, listen, Jesus just wants you happy. That's all that really matters. And he understands. Listen, he understands. I know that, you know, the Bible says it's sin, but, you know, you, you can't trust everything in the Bible. And, and Jesus, Jesus, he's love, isn't he? He's just love. He's love, and, and love would never hinder anybody from what they really want to do. And, and what they have missed is that Jesus is Lord. In fact, the Bible says Jesus is Lord way more than it says that God is love. And it, it does say God is love. It's way more than the Bible says that God is Father, that we're part of God's family. Jesus is Lord. Over 740-something times, the Bible says, Jesus is Lord. I'm not even getting into the Old Testament that talks about God's Lordship. And, and, and when, when we use that term, sometimes it can just turn into some kind of I don't know, some idea of, um, you know, he's special. Lord means he's special. No, Lord, Lord means he's powerful. He has ownership. He has right to command. There is only one way that we address Jesus or understand Jesus. We first have to understand him as Lord. In Jude chapter 4, it says, certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only God and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is what they do. They, there, there are people who creep in, these teachers, these leaders and so forth, 
And um, it says they're ungodly, and they turn the grace of God. We love the grace of God, but they turn it into license to just do whatever you want. And, and, and the writer here of Jude is saying, the Holy Spirit here is saying that these people, they're marked for condemnation. And that grace does not mean license. And Jesus will always be Lord. Luke chapter 6, 46, it says, why do you call me? Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord? Well, because it's kind of, isn't that your, who you are in that title, your title? He says, he's saying, why do you call me master, master, and not do what I say? See, Jesus' designation as Lord says that this is how we live our life. We live our life going, okay, good morning, Lord. What would you have me do today? How can I glorify your life today? What is the direction? I'm open today to any of your, of your commands, not your suggestions. Right? I'm open today to whatever you want of me. Now listen, our master loves you more than he loved his own life. So, so get that right. He loves you more than he loved his own life. Why? Because when he had a choice to go to the cross, and, he, and, and it was either for the rescue, the salvation of us, or he could have just not gone to the cross, he made the choice to go to the cross because he loved you more than he loved himself. And, and so, understanding that, that helps, but it doesn't diminish his lordship. It doesn't diminish who he is. He is Lord of all, of everything. He's master. He's the one that get, has the right to tell us what to do. And John 15, 14, he says this. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now try that out on your friends. You, you know, you can be my friend, but you got to do everything I say. See how far it goes, right? Not going to go very far. But he is, he is the master. And he says, you are my friends. Listen, what, and what I, I, I want to take us to is, this understanding about our relationship with Jesus. We actually do this thing in our deeper courses where we talk about five relational designations that are found in the scripture. What five levels of intimacy with God. When we talk about intimacy with God, there's five levels. And, um, and the lowest level is doulos. It's, it's slave. But it's the beginning level. In other words, we start out as slaves and we never stop being slaves, but we graduate in our relationship with God to the next level. The second level is friendship. It gets, it gets better, right? It gets better. But that's when Jesus said to his disciples, 
Um, and I don't, I, you won't have the scripture up here, but Jesus said to his disciples, um, from now on, I no longer call you, in, your, your, uh, in our translation, I'll say servant, but it's actually slave. He'll say, I no longer call you slave, but I call you friends. Because a slave doesn't know what the slave owner is doing, doesn't know what his Lord is doing. So from now on, I'm letting you know what I'm doing. I'm giving you greater insight. I'm no longer calling you um, a slave. That doesn't mean that they won't call themselves a slave. In fact, they will. They understand that we're always going to be a slave to our master, but Jesus will come to the place as we are submitting ourselves to him to start going, you know, I'm, we're getting deeper in our relationship here, and I, even though you're already a son of God, you're already a daughter of God, you're already positionally a friend of God, you're already positionally, uh, you know, all all of, of heaven, everything that I have, you're a joint heir with Christ. There are great things that God says they are yours, but relationally it isn't happening yet. And so relationally, the next step is friendship after there is already a commitment to servanthood, slave, where I go, Jesus, whatever you want done. This is what we do. We jump relationally into the most intimate places of relationship with God, and we skip the place of walking in obedience to God. So we, we, we talk about God so loving and so good, and he is, and I love him so much. Then why don't you do anything he tells you to do? How come you're living your life for yourself? See, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. In fact, I sing it every Sunday when we come to church. <laughs> then why don't you do what he tells you to do? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, could, 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 could you follow? Could, let's read this together out loud. Then he said to them all, read out loud with me, go on. Then, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what shall it profit is, is, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. I get that last verse has changed so much from the way I memorized it. I always get it wrong. Uh, it, I, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's another way it's said. Some of your translations will say that. What is Jesus saying? Well, our, our desire for self-fulfillment will keep us from real life. You see, there's two different selves here. There's, there's the old self and the new self. So it says, deny yourself. Which self? 
the old self, not the new self. Deny the old self, the old self that wants its own way. It's the, it's the, the sin nature, the, the thing that wants to be in charge. I want to be my own God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Now, it's not a one-time thing. I live this way every day. I have to live this way every day. And some days I know myself, I don't take up my cross. I just go along the way because my cross is too heavy, I'm thinking. I don't want this thing because Jesus might tell me to do something I don't want to do. Or Jesus might not let me do something that I want to do. You know, the longer I live with him and he leads, I find that the things he tells me to do are always better. It, it, it's always, it always works out better. But trusting him enough right at the, you know, from the beginning to say, Jesus, you're in charge because he's master, he's Lord. And there's, that's, that's what counts. He says, take up your cross daily. And by the way, let me just say this. Jesus never asks us to do what he hasn't already done. He never asks us to do what he had. He never asks us to do what he, he himself has not already done. Jesus knows what it's like to be a slave. He, sub, he submitted himself to the will of the Father fully. And when it was time to go to the cross, remember this, he could have called it off. He did not want to go. He prayed. Father, let this cup pass for me, this cup of suffering. I, I don't really want to do this. Can we find another way? Yet not my will, but yours be done. What was he doing? He was, he was a slave submitting to his master at that point. He submitted himself to the Father. He is equal in every way, laid it down intentionally, become one, a, a, a man, and, and fully at any time could have, could have called it back just Immediately, the Bible says he could have called, uh, you know, a legion of angels to come. He didn't have to go to the cross. But he submitted to the Father, and he asked us to do the same to him, for him. We submit to Jesus in the same way. We take up our cross. And, and, it's, and, and this, the next thing is, well, just call it counterintuitive. This, this doesn't seem like this is the way it works. But this is the way it works. See, counterintuitive means that oftentimes uh, the thing that looks like is the best way is actually the opposite. And, and so he says, if you save your life, you lose it. What? You save it, you lose it. And if you lose it, you find it. That, that, that goes against everything in my brain that seems, you know, if I save it, I lose it. If I lose it, I find it. And Jesus is saying that if you lose your life for me, if you, if you serve me, you give your life, what you'll discover is you'll discover something that you didn't expect. You'll discover life. All the good things. We, I, I, am, I am for 
And I, I will hear sometimes preachers just say, you know, they're not giving, the, giving them the truth. They got to give them the truth. And the truth means this. You don't go tell them all the good things that Jesus is going to do for them. You know? Well, why? There's all kinds of things that Jesus said. He came to give life, that life more abundant. There's all kinds of wonderful things that Jesus offers. Joy and peace and hope and, and purpose and all these things that come that the Lord offers. But understand, it comes in a way that we don't... See, the way we think it will work is this. If I want joy, I got to pursue it. If I want, you know, if I want peace, I have to pursue it. If I want purpose in life, I've got to pursue it. All the things that I want, if I want them, I have to pursue it. And God says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. As you're pursuing it, you're losing it. As you're, as you're pursuing God, you're gaining it. Because that's where it comes from. You lay down your life. And all those other things come. And so Jesus says to us, he says, For what will a profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his own soul or is himself destroyed or lost? How, how satisfying would it be to be the richest man in hell? I'm the richest or the smartest or whatever it is that we pursue in our lives that we think are the greatest. Doesn't make sense in eternity, does it? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything. Surrender. And someday... Someday you'll stand before the Lord in that great day that you'll be entering in. And, and Jesus will say, as he tells us in Matthew 25, he tells us, what, what's he going to say? Well done, thou good and faithful slave. Well done. We've heard, we've heard servant all our life. Well done, and I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I just want to clarify. I just want us to get it right. He is master. He is Lord of all. I, I heard a story this, this week. Um, someone was telling that, and, and this kind of goes along, and I, I don't want to sound in any way heartless. I know what it's like, and if you serve Jesus, you know what it's like to give up things because Jesus, the way, give up some things that you would want because Jesus has told us to live a different way. I remember early on, if, if I didn't if, I, if Jesus was not my Lord, I would have got a divorce in the first two years of, of my marriage, probably. In, in my flesh, the old Rick would have walk, you know, walked out the door, went surfing, and never came home. Because that was me. I was selfish, self-centered, and, and, uh, and my wife was, um, she was less than perfect. 
She has since become perfect. Right? It uh, took 46 years to get there. Right? But, no. You know, the, the, the point simply being, that was not my choice at the time, but I knew it was Jesus' choice to stay, to work it out, to make it work, to pray, to seek God, to not seek my own way and my own satisfaction in my life only. You know? The, the point is, is simply this, uh, that Jesus is Lord. And I heard this story this week where there was a, a lady who was sharing how um, in, in, in her young youth group, actually, um, one of the girls in the youth group wanted to call everybody in the group together. And she says, I kind of knew what she was going to do. And so she, they called, she called everybody together, and what she did is she shared with them that she, now, she has determined that she was going to take and live this alternative lifestyle. And, and, um, and she felt that Jesus' love was, Jesus wanted her to be happy. That's what she shared. And the group all kind of, you know, they, they loved her and hugged her and, and loved on her. And, and this, this woman, who was at the time a little bit younger, um, she, she hugged her and t- told her how much she cared about her and prayed for her and want her, wanted the best for her. And then she asked this question. She said, do you, I want you just to be honest with me if you would be willing to. Are you doing this because you honestly believe that Jesus is okay with it or is it that you're just tired of battling and her answer was I'm tired of battling I can understand that can't you I can understand I can, I can hurt I can pray for I can love but I also know that what gets you by those things that maybe would keep you from experiencing all that God has for you in your life, what gets you by and causes you to get victory is you've surrendered to the fact that Jesus is master and Lord. Because that, you know, as we talk, you know, there are many things in your life. There are many things that at the moment you might desire, your flesh might want, you might be willing, but if Jesus is master, what you want has already been laid down. What he wants is first. Fully trusting that when it's all said and done, you'll be happy and better off because you said yes to him. It's counterintuitive, but it's the way it works. See, benefits of soul salvation, joy, purpose, love, peace, hope, and the list just goes on. They're all there. But you can't pursue them. You surrender.
to the master. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you today for what you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come to you, Lord, and I say that word with, um, with hopefully a deeper understanding that you truly are my master. I, I, I'm sorry when I have not surrendered and I have not treated you properly. I ask you to cleanse me. But I today reaffirm my commitment in spite of my shortcomings, my commitment to say yes to you before you even ask. Jesus, you're my master. You're my Lord. And if there's anyone here or watching online that you've never surrendered to that, you ask Jesus to come into your life. You, you, you confess him as Lord. When when the Bible says you confess Jesus as Lord, that, that means this, that your attitude is, Jesus, I want to do everything that you want me to do. I want to serve you. And whether you might have to battle with your flesh in that or not, you've determined in your heart that's the direction I'm headed. And if you need Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus, you need Jesus. And you can invite him into your life. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I believe you died for me. You were buried and conquered death. You are my Savior. Help me to follow you from now on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Join us as we worship.
person on Wednesday or next Sunday.